telling them when I came into the chapel earlier that uh, my grandmother was in the Salvation Army and one of the captains, um, he didn't like all these names, but when he would read scripture and he would come to something that he couldn't pronounce a name or whatever, he would just say wheelbarrow. <laughs> so that, that was his approach to dealing with these issues, wheelbarrow. <coughs> Today we were going to have a guest with us from Wycliffe Translators, and uh, well, we had some weather <laughs> here in Atlantic Canada. Um, she couldn't come, and so I'm going to step in and I'm going to say something about um, the whole notion of translating. Now, don't get bored just quite yet. Um, I'm not just talking about the kind of translating that Wycliffe Translators do or that the Bible Society, such as the Canadian Bible Society, is involved with. I'm talking about a variety of kinds of translating. Everything that you will do in ministry, doesn't matter what your ministry is, you will be translating. You'll be taking the gospel from your language and putting it into the language of someone else. It might be that you're pastoring a congregation, but your language is that of the church. And you're talking with kids who are hanging out at the local hangout. You don't talk with them in church talk. You have to learn their language. You have to learn how they see the world, how they view it, how they understand it, and figure out how do I put the gospel message that doesn't change into changeable languages and changeable situations? We have a problem doing that in the church. We have a real problem with that. Because, well, as much as we like to think that we're at the cutting edge of everything, that's a joke. <laughs> we're not. We are very, 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 very conservative. There was a day when people thought the King James translation was the bee's knees. Why the bee's knees are important or so interesting, I don't know, but that's the phrase. <laughs> but they thought it was just something else. And there are those, as I'll mention in a minute, who they don't want to move away from that. Do you know that that translation actually is not all that new? It wasn't all that new in 1611. <laughs> Many of the phrases were phrases that people had developed a long time before. Many of the translations that you're using today the new translations still are using phrases that the King James translators found in translations before them. That's how persistent and how conservative we are in the church. We don't want to change. Back in the fourth century, there were two very prominent people, church fathers, who Augustine and Jerome. You've all heard of
Augustine? Yes? Yes? Okay. You've all heard of Jerome? All right. What's Jerome famous for? The Vulgate. Translation of the Vulgate, the Latin Bible. And Augustine, what's he famous for? His confessions. Many other things. That's the popular understanding of Augustine. Well, um, Jerome had been commissioned by the Pope of the day because there were many translations out there of the Greek and Hebrew scriptures that were in Latin. But some guy sat down and he said, I really like the book of Obadiah. And I'm going to translate. And he did his best working through the Hebrew and translating it into Latin. And it was horrible. <laughs> but there were people who really wanted to read the book of Obadiah, and they couldn't read Hebrew, and so they took his Latin translation, and they used it. And the Pope of the day said, this is not good. Uh, Jerome, I want you to translate a new Latin translation, one that has good Latin, and one that's faithful to the scriptures. Well, Jerome thought it might be a good idea that for whatever reason, he moved to Bethlehem. He started his translation where he was, and he was using the translations that he had available to him. But the main translation was the King James Bible of its day, the Septuagint translation. When he moved to Bethlehem, he discovered there were Jews there and Christians, and they had the Old Testament and the New Testament in the original languages. He just thought, well, it's a no-brainer. We translate from the Hebrew into Latin rather than from the Greek into Latin. And he started. And he would finish a translation and he would send it off with a letter to Augustine and to others. And Augustine was not amused. Not In the introduction to various of the translations from Hebrew into Latin that Jerome was doing, he has an ongoing battle with Augustine. Augustine's problem was he wasn't using the authorized version. He was not translating from the Greek. The Greek was the inspired translation. How dare Jerome go back to the Hebrew? Jump ahead a few years. The, uh, I remember growing up in St. John. Um, and I would uh, be working out in my father's garage or doing whatever. And as a young Christian... I would turn on the radio and I would listen to a particular program in the evening. I see Dr. Gardner over here <laughs> laughing. He knows what I'm going to say. <laughs> it was the Gospel Hour by Perry F. Rockwood. Now, Perry F. Rockwood was a preacher in Halifax. He had a wide ministry. He had his outlet in, um, in Boston, Massachusetts. Have a say, just right? Some people can even say the, the area code. You can tell me all this. Um, and I did hear him. I had been off to college. I had learned some Greek. I was home. I was actually building 
our first table for when Darlene and I got married. And I was working, and he said something that made me stop, and I've never forgotten. I know he misspoke, but he sort of meant it. The King James, the King James Bible, it was good enough for Paul. It's good enough for me. <laughs> now, what he meant was the Greek text under that. But he did say it as the King James Bible. For him, and for many people even today, there is a version, and there are perversions. That was one of his phrases. It's the very same thing with Augustine. There was a version, and then there were perversions. The Roman Catholic Church, pre-Vatican II, for them, I remember my cousins who were Roman Catholics, they would go to Roman Catholic Mass, everything was done in Latin. My cousin, who just recently died, she went to university and she took Latin so that she could go to Mass, so that she could understand what was being said. Vatican II comes and the magisterium decides we don't need to do that anymore. People need to hear the scriptures in their own languages. And so the scholars were released from the Latin Vulgate and they were allowed to translate again, just as Jerome wanted and did do with the Vulgate from the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek. We are so persistent, we are so reluctant to change the way we talk that we impose upon people in our congregations a burden that is just so unreasonable. I remember very well a Christian lady in one of the congregations where I served. And we talked from time to time in Bible studies and uh, Sunday services and the Sunday school class. We talked about translations and about it might mean this or it might mean that. It might be translated this way or it might be translated that way. And I was trying to get people to loosen up just a little with staying with the King James Bible. And I remember her saying to me in a hushed voice one day, she said, she always called me Pastor Wooden. She could not call me Glenn. Pastor Wooden, she said, I read my Bible, notice my Bible, every night. And then I open up the Good News Bible so that I can understand it. <laughs> and that's actually tragic there is someone who loves the Lord who faithfully every night read her Bible and she didn't understand it and so she had to turn to another translation that she didn't consider the Bible so that she could understand it that's what we do when we don't take care with how we communicate, with how we talk, with the translations that we use. I think we have too many now, but that's another matter. <laughs> we must take care. Wycliffe, the person who is the, the namesake for the, the organization that would have been represented here today, 
the various Bible societies, such as the Canadian Bible Society, of which our own Professor Brackney is the chair of their board for Canada. Their task is to make the scriptures available to people in language that they can understand. And for the Bible Society, it's without notes. That is, no interpretation, just the scriptures. That is part of a long tradition in the church and the synagogue. I had two scriptures read today. One was from when the people came back from exile and they come back to Jerusalem and they're going about their lives and Ezra and Nehemiah want to have a gathering. They want to get things back on track spiritually, religiously. And so they gather all the people together who are there in Jerusalem and they bring them all out into a, a plaza and they're going to read the scriptures. They're actually going to read through the Torah for the first five books. But there's a problem. When the people went off to Babylon, the language that they learned there, that was passed on for two generations, was the Aramaic language. And so for them to stand and listen to the Hebrew scriptures read, was a little like us singing a popular song in German and not quite catching what it means. You could probably look at those and with just a little bit of help. You could see that there are some words in there that translate quite nicely into English. Do, thou, you. There's connections there. But, you know, to hear the Bible read that way, to not quite catch it, to realize ah, there's something about that that's familiar, but I don't understand what he's saying. It's just not good. So rather than saying to the people, okay, folks, sit down, we're going to have Hebrew class. So that in a couple of years, when we read, you're going to understand. Instead, when they opened the law, unrolled it, began to read, Levites, and the Levites did two things, it tells us. They translated it, and they gave the sense of it. That is my picture of what a pastor does, or a teacher. They take the stuff from the past, they translate it, they give the sense of it, and they say, now, here's what you can do. Here's how you take this this. That day, people mourned. When they heard the law, they realized, oh my goodness, we're so far off what God wants us to do. And they were mourning. And Ezra and Nehemiah said, no, 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 hold it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, God's good. This is all going to work out. Today is a day of rejoicing. Feast. Go off, prepare food, give food to those who don't have it, and rejoice. And they did Released, and they realized, wow, we could hear the scriptures and we could understand it for the first time because it was in their language and it was made clear to them. That is what translations are to do. 
on the day of Pentecost. We in the church, we get all focused on this battle and that battle. I want you to notice what it did. When whatever it was that happened, happened, people said that they heard the message in their own language. And from that point on, the church has been what I refer to as not a people of the book, but as a people of translations of the book. In a while, I'm not sure how long, these are all in back order, those of you who have taken Greek and Hebrew are going to receive from the Canadian Bible Society copies of the Greek and Hebrew scriptures. <clears throat> when you get your copy of the Greek New Testament, I want you to have a look inside. Down at the bottom of the pages, there are all these notes um, that you will hear something about at some point in various courses. And this is telling us something about textual traditions. And in here, you're going to find that there are old translations that are used to help us understand what the original Greek may have said. I want to just say some of the languages. So there's Greek, obviously. And then there's what's called the Old Latin. Those are the ones I was telling you about that people just did the hatch jobs. Then there was the Vulgate. That's the 4th and 5th centuries, so the 300s and 400s. There was Syriac, which was an Aramaic language. And Old Syriac, one that was before that. There was the Coptic, which is in Egypt. That's from the 3rd century. That's the 200s. Armenian, that's in Armenia, nothing to do with the theological debate. Uh, <laughs> Armenian, uh, from the 5th century, that's the 400s. Georgian, from the 400s. Ethiopic, and there are two versions of Ethiopic, and so that's from about the 400s, or sorry, the 500s. Old Church Slavonic, up where the Russians are. The church, as it spread out, didn't gather people together and say, now, so that you can read the scripture, we're going to teach you Greek and Hebrew. The force of Pentecost was that every person should hear the scriptures and the gospel message in their own language. And so we became a people of translations, Back when I was first studying theology, not here, but at uh, the predecessor of Crandall University, there was a lecturer who came. And one of the things he said stuck with me and has been affirmed by many people along the way. What he said was, every generation must discover anew the gospel. Every generation must discover the gospel for itself. He didn't mean that we create it, but rather that every generation speaks a new language. Every generation has new issues. And the gospel, we must learn to say it and speak it into our new settings. Part of the thrust of translation is that it takes work on our part. There's the core of the gospel, but then there's how we communicate it. 
I used to say at one time that when you begin a new ministry, a new pastorate, when you move into a new area, you have to exegete. You have to learn how to translate your new situation. That's all that we do here at Acadia Divinity College. As we try to understand who we are as Christians, where we are in the Christian tradition, the scriptures, our setting, so that as we go in, we can be faithful to the gospel. So that whether we find ourselves on a reservation up north, or in the slums of some city here in Atlantic Canada, or Western Canada, or whether we are talking with parliamentarians or the wealthy on Bay Street, whether we're in a struggling community in Cape Breton, but as we preach the gospel, we're not obfuscating. We're not trying to hide it or even hiding it by default, but rather we're working so that we can translate it language that people understand so that it meets the needs that they have not ones that we have or worse yet ones that two, three, four, five generations ago had. May God bless you.